following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. I want to thank everyone for being here and those who are listening this morning because we're getting ready really to uh, ready ourselves to deep deeper into God's Word. So let's pray this morning. Father Lord, we just thank you for this, for this beautiful day. We thank you in the good times and the bad times. We thank you in the times of joy and the times of struggle. Lord, I I just pray for those that are hurting this morning, for the lost, for those that are lonely and frightened. Lord, I ask that the Holy Spirit come and touch them and know that you are the great healer. You're the comforter. You're the encourager. And Lord, I pray this morning that we just sit and let all the crud of our lives go out of out of out of balance this morning. Let us just hear your word and not worry about what we're going to have for lunch or things like that. Just let us be intent in hearing what you have to say to us this morning. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to be using uh, Luke chapter uh, chapter 9, verses 46 to 48 uh, as our text. And uh, it should be up on the screen. It says in verse 46, An argument arose among them as to which was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is the greatest. So, if you've heard me preach before, I usually ask a question. So here's the big question this morning. Who is the greatest? You know, man's idea of greatness is pretty much addressed in verse 46. Think about it. It says, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. Can you imagine that? Who is the greatest? You know, and as I see it, the world has really three specific patterns uh, of greatness. The first one is our culture. Uh, And our culture is a development through which art and science and high regard in certain stations of society happens, kind of like fame. You know, we we know famous actors and we know famous writers and this is the fame level. You know, I'm not famous. It's to be socially acceptable in our society and, and to be socially acceptive of our society. We need to show all the trappings of success and to be physically attractive. That's why we look at Actors, they always look good. Lacking those things, we kind of feel desperate and insecure, and we we try to compensate for that lack of security in, in a variety of ways. You know, and for most people, me included, it sometimes doesn't work out that great at all. 
You know, I can try to do things to increase my stature, but it doesn't work. You know, in John 12, verse 43, it says this, For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And what I get out of that is the idea that the idea that success is measuring up to someone else's standard is a lie. It's a, I have to live with God. I have to deal with God's standard for me. Because Cindy has standards for me, and I often fail. I try, but I will disappoint her. I, I just just fail. The second thing is, the second item is power. And you know, it's, it's kind of like the, uh, the ability to use people as pawns on a chessboard. And we do that sometimes to project a greater influence of ourselves. We can manipulate people. And I heard a really good illustration many years ago, and, and, and I thought this morning I'd share it with you, because I think it's very crucial to what we're talking about. You see, the, there was a lion, and this lion was proud of his mastery of the animal kingdom. So one day he decided to make sure all the other animals knew that he was the king of the jungle. So he was confident, and he bypassed the monkeys and the little critters, and he went straight to a bear. And he said, who is the king of the jungle? And the bear replied, well, you are, of course. And the lion gave this mighty roar of approval. And next he asked the tiger, who is the king of the jungle? And the tiger quickly responded, everyone knows that you are, almighty lion. Next on the list was an elephant. And the lion faced the elephant, and he addressed his question to the elephant. He said, who is the great king of the jungle? And the elephant immediately grabbed the lion with his trunk, whirled him around the air four or five times, slammed him into a tree, pounded him on the ground, picked him up again, dunked him in the lake, and finally threw him up on shore. The lion now is beaten and bloodied and bruised and struggles to his feet. He looks at the elephant through these sad, bloody eyes, and he says, Look, just because you don't know the answer is no reason for you to get mean about it. Don't forget to tip your waiters and do two shows on Saturday. <laughs> Isaiah 2.12 says this, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. My third element this morning is luxury. And that kind of endows one with the extreme comfort which money commands. You know, I never thought in my ever in my life that I would live in a mobile home. I inherited one. Never thought I would. I, you know, I, that was not on my. I, I was looking like I've had big houses. You know, three thousand, thirty-five hundred square foot houses. Now I live in something that's about a thousand. But you know, I'm okay with that. It's good. It's good. You know, First Timothy six nine says this: "But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that can plunge people into ruin and destruction." Would you agree with me that sometimes it's great to be a nobody? 
<laughs> now, someone might say, and I'm sure someone's thinking this because I thought about it, and I'm not that smart. Uh, no one ever looks out for the little guy. Ever hear that phrase? Ever feel like that? And, you know, it usually comes to me like when I start doing my taxes. Or just the other day when I went to get gas at the gas pump and I saw the price. And sometimes it's even listening to politicians. But, you know, the added, that attitude of who's watching out for the little guy, it affects us in a lot of areas. And it seems fairly obvious to me that in, in today's world, we as society, we kind of put the guy or the lady who has all the looks and all the talent and on the money or even power, they get the majority of the attention. You know, there are studies which have shown that men six foot tall or better automatically get better jobs. That's why I've been telling everybody I've been six foot two since I was 18 years old. <laughs> you know, you could read all these leadership books about uh, uh, success and success philosophies. You know, that success, the dress for success uh, was designed around mankind's appear, uh, obsession for appearance. And it might be better said it's form over substance. You know, it's... Money and power can be had, according to the world, if you look like you should have power and money. You know, apart from a human standpoint, it looks like that no one looks out for the little guy. But, and in the Bible when it says but, that's like the big but, that you should pay attention to that. There is someone who looks out for us. In fact, in the kingdom of God's economy, the one who has little or least is the most honored of all. Philippians 2.3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Pretty hard. So this morning's text, it says this, An argument arose among them, as to which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. And he said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he is least among you all is the one who is greatest. Now, if we're going to be completely honest, and I hope we are, I try to be, I believe we can say that the disciples then are really no different than we are today. It's a fact. If you get a group of people together in any organization, there's bound to be a power struggle. Someone wants to be the head cheese, the big shot, or the most honored and respected, or just the one that gets to tell everybody what to do. I remember attending a business leadership conference, and one of the key points was this. And I wrote this down because I thought it was interesting. In most groups, there is an organizationally appointed leader, and then there's the leader who's unofficially chosen by the group that's to be led. Now, sometimes these two leaders are on the same sheet of music, and they cooperate well, and 
Ultimately, a lot of times they end up being adversarial. The group, the one that is appointed by the group, usually is the one that instigates the us versus them controversy. Kind of like uh, you've heard this term before, labor versus management. You know that that type of thing, and and, and or whatever division there is in the group. You know. What color should the carpets be? Or what kind of music should we hear? And stuff like that. And sometimes, you know, in these groups, adversity is pretty hot and loud and messy. And then sometimes it can even be passive-aggressive. You know, I know in my life, I've always, sometimes I've got the, uh, yes, sir, but there's always a, we'll do this, we'll do this, but then there's always a problem getting the project or job accomplished on time or correctly, I get paid lip service. And I think we've all worked in places or in committees or even served in churches that are like that sometimes. So here we have the disciples, and they're debating about who would be second in command since Jesus, they acknowledged, was the master. Now, Peter, he was pretty vocal, and uh, he was the first to declare, if you remember, that Jesus was the Christ. And John, John could be argued, was the closest to him. And he was known by them as the one that Jesus loved. And all the other guys, they're all giving forth, you know, they're talking about their strengths and the reason why they should be the elder or the leader amongst them. And, you know, they may have gotten into a heated discussion over this. Could have, Peter, you know, Peter, Peter was kind of like a firebrand. You know, he, he was kind of like, in-your-face kind of guy. So I'm pretty sure that he lit some of the fire in these discussions. And, you know, you look at the the boys, and you look at us today, and all our disputes and arguments, you know, Jesus sees the core problem, and what did he do? He used a child, a child to illustrate the true way of greatness in the kingdom. You know, there's one way up and there's a way down. Jesus came here for the little guy. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the Son of God. He's the Mighty Counselor. He's the Prince of Peace. And the names go on and on. Jesus left glory to die for us. You know, when we think about it, in comparison to God, To Jesus, we're bacteria, and bad bacteria at best. Nothing good about us. You know, Jesus came in the world as a son of a poor carpenter, and he was born in a manger. When Christ was walking the earth, he he lived as a poor, itinerant preacher. And if you remember the story, he even had to have a fish provide tax money for him and his uh, followers. Yet his followers, this is what's amazing, they were arguing about how great they were when in their countrymen's eyes, you know what they thought of them? They were poor itinerant fishermen. They didn't have a lot of standing. They thought they did, but they didn't. And the sheer arrogance of this is pretty mind-boggling when you honestly realize, folks, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. That's why Jesus said they had to receive or to accept or to welcome this child in his name. To welcome, to accept. And by doing so, they would also be accepted or welcomed 
by the Father. They had to accept people that had no apparent worth and use it if they would understand Christ and his mission. You know, David asked this question, What is man that you art mindful of him? The sinful man has so little to mess with and certainly is really we what value do we bring to to God? But he loves us. He loves us. There's a very important scripture this morning I want to share with you, and I hope you don't miss it. It's in book of John, chapter 13, verses 9 to 15. And it says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. And then Christ says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. You know, looking through the eyes of man and with man's value, we are probably no use to God except maybe as briquettes on the the grills of hell. However, through the eyes of God, man, sinful men, were of great worth to the one who created them, and he loved them. They were worth reaching down and offering the sacrifice of God's only Son to bring them back into a loving relationship with the Father. You know, ever think about this? God could have just toasted the whole race and started over again when Adam fell. He could have done it again and not bothered with Noah and his family. Do you know, do you believe he could do it again today? He could. Why? Because as creator, he has the right to do whatever he wants to do with his creation. You know what keeps him from doing it? His love for man keeps him seeking to bring man back into a relationship with him. It's all about the relationship. He's not willing, God is not willing or desirous that anyone should perish. But he allows them to have free will so that they they can choose. We can choose. God wants loving sons and daughters and not robots. We're not robots. We have the ability to think. Back to the boys. They were arguing who was preeminent among them, the disciples. And they missed the whole spirit of Christ and the love of God. Christ tried to tell them this when uh, James and John asked who's going to be on the right hand and left hand of Jesus when he came into, they came into the kingdom. And he told them that whoever of them would be chief would have to become the servant of all. You know, parallel scriptures is awesome. In Mark chapter 10, verse 44, it says this. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave to all. 
And then he had to repeat himself when he got into uh, into this dispute by saying that the first of you had to become last. If you look at Mark 35, 935, he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone will be first, you must be least, last of all and a servant of all. Isn't that servant leadership? You know, all too often, we put people, we regard people a lot higher than they should be. I love about the pastor, whenever there's something, someone to get, we have food or whatever, he's always the last to go through. I learned that in the Marines when I became an officer, that you make sure all your people are fed before you do. That's servant leadership. I'd venture to say that this whole argument was not the first time that they'd had one, and it might not have been the last. However, they that being said, they met, you know what they really did? They missed the message, and they missed many times Christ's message. And, and that was the shame of all this. But again, they were no better at comprehension and application than we are today. And that's been a problem through the ages. Think about this. Even in heaven, Lucifer could not be satisfied with being the preeminent angel. He wanted to be above God and exalting himself. What happened? He lost everything. Saul. Look at Saul. As long as he had, uh, he was uh, little in his own eyes, he did a great job as a king. God had exalted him. But what happened is when he forgot that, that God was involved, he started believing he was the great one. And what happens? He dies in shame. You know, Paul, uh, Peter, Peter did great when he declared Jesus to be the Christ. But the revelation and compliment went to his head. Remember a few weeks ago, we, we read about Peter. He tried to tell Jesus that he should forget this crucifixion stuff. And he was Peter goes from being immediately from being blessed to humility, because what Christ called him, "Get behind me, Satan." And he blew it when he puffed himself up and he said that he would he would die for Christ and never deny him. I was thinking about that saying. Maybe the old saying should be eating rooster instead of crow. You know, in the end, though, Peter gets himself together in John 21, and he humbles himself. And then Jesus exalts him on Pentecost to announce the church's birth and to bring in all the various groups into one body. James, James rolled to leadership in Jerusalem, and Paul was the chief apostle to the Gentiles. And we hear of no dissension among that in, in Scripture. You know, after Pentecost, it seems like the, the, the apostles, they finally seem to have gotten the point that only Christ could have preeminence in their lives and that their position in the kingdom was up to him. You know, Peter, who was not one to take a lot of criticism, he even he accepted a rebuke from Paul when Paul pointed out that Peter was in error because he was only eating with the uh, Gentiles when the Jews weren't present. And he didn't tell Paul just to back off because Paul was brand new and Peter had been with Christ from the beginning. 
And Peter even had to admit that Paul preached some things that were hard to understand. And he humbly admitted that. And he indicated that even Peter, who had spent time with Christ, realized that there was he had, had trouble understanding them all. So, how do you stand? Are you a big shot? Or a big shot wannabe? Because I would submit that if you are, you've missed the point of Christ's coming and his sacrifice. Now I know, believe me, what I'm about to say is not true here at Faith Fellowship. But I have seen it at other churches, and I'm sure you may have. Have you ever heard of a church member trying to be the pastor? Or giving the pastor the hard time? Yeah. You know what I say? Back off, boyo. It's not your job. Submit to God and serve in the position that you were called, that you were given to. You know, being transparent, because I try to be with you, on occasions I've had to ask myself, Fred, have you become so full of yourself with God's anointing that no man may touch you or oppose you? My caution to us all is God can touch you. Don't forget that he can touch you. Do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Remember him? In the book of Daniel, chapter 4, it says, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whoever he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as an eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Read his digest version. He turns Nebuchadnezzar into a beast, and for seven years he lives like that. You know, God can do that to you. doesn't have to be just like that, but he can put you on the shelf for a while. You know why God did not call us to be dictators? When you talk about pastors, he called pastors to be under shepherds who are supposed to have the heart for their flock. You know, God calls us to do what? To love one another. Even when someone's unlovable or likable. You know, I I have made enough mistakes and God knows me well enough to know that if I continue to breathe, I'm going to make some more. He knows that. I was thinking that I am so proud and humbled to have Pastor Colin as my pastor. I think we all should say that. You know, um, it's been said that sometimes it takes a pastor to know a pastor. And I've known some pastors who have abused their power and position, and they've abused people, and one day it's going to blow up in their faces. I can say before you this morning clearly that our pastor is not that type of pastor. And I thank God daily, really, for putting Pastor Colin in my life, and what a blessing he's been to Cindy and me. So I, I apologize, I went on a rapid trail there. But now, last, but certainly not the least, I come to us, the little folks. 
But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side. So why does Jesus take a child? We talked about this this morning in uh, Get Ready. But in the traditions of that time, a child had no standing. He had no influence. He really had nothing to offer. He was just a child. Didn't bring anything to the table. But Jesus uses the child to show two things. That he can use the least of humanity, one. And that we must be trusting of his authority as a child is of his father. The word I like to use is vulnerable. Vulnerability. Do you feel like a no-talented No talent, useless person. Don't raise your hand. You weren't going to anyway. (laughs) But I have some news for you. If you think that, it's not true. It is not true. If you are saved, you are called a child of God. And he loves you. I can't believe he loves me beyond measure. You know, the world might see you like it sees me, old, ugly, and fat, you know. But God sees us in a different light. And that light is pure and perfect. He sees us as a child that he gave the gift to its salvation. He wants to encourage you to use the gift, to bring joy, and to be a participant in what he's doing in the world. You notice that word participant? We're not just to be observers. We need to get into the game. We've got to have the buy-in. And folks, that's Fitzgerald's opinion. You can argue with me. That's the problem with the Christian church today. People have the want to, but they don't have to do it. You know what I'm saying? We want, we want, that's a really good idea. Well, I really could use your help doing that. Well, I'm kind of busy. You know, I'm not going to go there. You know, you could be very young. We have any young kids in here this morning? Or you could be very old. But you know what? Whatever age you're at, you're at the right age to use the gift that God gave you. You know? You might be very well educated. You might not be. You know what? I have a bunch of initials after my name. You know what that really, all those initials mean? I realize how much I really don't know. It's true. More initials, the less you really know about stuff, and you have to really question stuff. Crazy. God has all the wisdom that we need to exercise the gift. And God will freely give it to you when you ask for it. You know, to the world, you might be a nobody. But if you are in the body of Christ, you're as needed as much as anyone else out there is. Why? Because Jesus' precious blood 
flowed for you. And you know what that makes you? Special. Special. Now, I say that, but don't get a big head. Okay? Stay small in your own eyes. But remember whose eyes are on you and who lifted you up to him. God will make you into someone that the world would never expect and you could do things that you'd never comprehend that you could do. You may be last, but you are in a position to be first if you just let the Holy Spirit fill us. I truly believe this, that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, will intercede for you and bring you into the presence of his Father, who will put you in a place that he has prepared for you, and he puts you to, he, he's put it, he's prepared a place for us to work here on earth. And you know when he did that? Before the foundations of the universe, God knew what we were going to do, what we, we were destined to do. God will use you. I'm weak. But he will use the weak to confound the mighty. People in those positions will sometimes look at us as foolish. But God will confound you, will use you to confound the wise. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and prayed as a table? And look around. I know we're supposed to have all heads bowed and eyes closed, but when you look around, and some people look like, what's up with that? You know? And then there's others. I've had waiters who dropped to their knees and prayed with us. It happens. What a great way. And I challenge you, when you go to a restaurant, pray and pray before you ask the waiter or the waitress, is there anything we can pray for you for? That might be what God put you in that place for at that specific time. You know, we could be despised by the world. Does anybody believe that being a Christian today is like one of the top ten things that people want to be called? Probably not. I don't think so. Dave Letterman, you said the top ten. I don't think Christian was anywhere up at the top. But you know what? We might be despised by the world, but God will use us as his chosen one. We do not exist in the world. But God will use us to bring this world to an end when we return with him. So are you feeling like a little guy this morning? Look up because someone is certainly looking out for you. If you guys want to come up. You know, God is looking out for us. I had a car accident about five years ago. I'd had my neck fused, and I was coming back from the doctor's office after my last appointment, and uh, in the panhandle, they have these things called logging trucks. You ever see those big things that haul 40-foot timber? Well, this guy, I was taking a country road back home because I felt so good that I didn't have to see the doctor anymore, and this logging truck ran me off the road, and I ended up, I had a little Suzuki car, and rolled about seven times and then crashed into 
a tree, a, a, a stand of trees, upside down. So I'm looking. I, I get. I'm, all I remember saying is, "Lord, just accept me and please protect Cindy." Now, my point is, I didn't say, "Hey, Satan, help me out here." I didn't say, "Hey, Cindy, help me. <laughs> this could be bad." I went to the Lord first thing in my head. And a lot of people will do that when it comes to stress. And that's important that we know who is our protector. Good news is, didn't do anything wrong to my neck. I had a little cut in my arm. State troopers came. They said, okay, where's the body? I said, here I am. (laughs) So, um, So my final challenge is we need to lift up our arms to receive all that he has for us because God blesses the little guy. Now this morning, I don't know the status of your heart. That's between you and God. And I know there's people that are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. You've heard this before, the head knowledge and the heart knowledge. It's all about relationships. Now this morning, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please, I'm begging you, Because we don't know what the next breath brings. I would hate to have someone in this thing, yeah, I have to go think about this, listen to, read the notes again. Maybe I'll do it. Well, you might not have that moment. So if you don't, again, they're going to play a great song, Come to the Altar. Right? Come to the altar then. Hey, maybe you just need prayer. I'm not a real good prayer, but I'll pray with you. And if you want someone better, bring them up. You know? But come to the altar this morning. Please. The decision to be a Christ follower is the most crucial, critical decision you can make. And I can't make it for you, because if I would, everyone would be saved. You have to make that decision. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.